libraries, specifically libraries behind bars. For those doing time, reading books can be about more than passing the time. Most, if not all, jails and prisons in Massachusetts have them, but how well-stocked a jail library is depends on who's running it. Barnstable County Jail on Cape Cod is revamping its library with the help of a local librarian, and a regional organization called Freedom Reads is installing libraries in facilities here and across the country. Here to talk about it more is Brian Stokes, Interim Library Director for the Falmouth Public Library and Volunteer Librarian at the Barnstable County Jail, and Reginald Dwayne Betts, a poet, lawyer, and founder of Freedom Reads. Brian, Dwayne, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. Dwayne, let's start with you. You were locked up for eight and a half years in Fairfax County, Virginia, starting when you were just 16 years old. Um, tell me about what kind of library access, what kind of access you had to books during your time incarcerated. I mean, it was different. And I think um, it was mainly happenstance. You know, I think I did time at my first three or four prisons before it was actually a library that I could actually go and visit. And that made me understand the importance of having, you know, literally a physical library on a cell block. And um, in one really 25 second story I'll share is the magic of a book was revealed to me when I was, you know, 16 years old. I was in a cell at the Fairfax County Jail. I wear glasses and I didn't have them at the time. So I was basically legally blind. I couldn't choose a book based on its title because I couldn't really read the words. And I just chose a book that, that, that removed choice from me. It was the one book whose title was completely obscure and the book was like bound in duct tape and it was black and it looked like it, it was like on the verge of being discarded. And it was a book called Shibumi by a guy named Trevanian. And I remember picking up that book and it introduced me to Go. It introduced me to, you know, World War II. It introduced me to ideas about what does it mean to try to be somebody in the world and, and to overcome something. And it was purely happenstance. And I wanted to create those kind of moments for other people to reveal to them books that they might not know that they need. Um, but when they read it, they discover that it, it it transforms and changes their lives. Dwayne, if you could take us back a little bit in your life um, to how you ended up in incarcerated and how your relation to books developed uh, when you were behind bars. Um, I'm staring at my bookcase in my office and I'm looking at Martin Luther King Jr.'s A Testament of Hope. And I think what landed me in prison was... Um, not really understanding what my place in the world might be and not really understanding the um, enormous weight of violence. And I picked up a gun and I carjacked somebody and I have no excuses. I was 16 years old. It was the first time I picked up a gun, but that wasn't an excuse. It was a choice. And I got arrested the next day. I pled guilty. I was sentenced to nine years in prison. I served eight and a half. But see, I, I love books before I got locked up. Mm. And after I was sentenced to, to nine years in prison, I was in a holding cell and I told myself I was going to be a writer. And it's not because I had ever thought about being a writer before, but I knew that I was going to be a convict. And I just needed to, to claim something. And, and honestly, it ultimately ended up being about hope. And that's why I said a testament of hope. I wanted to hold on to something that I could use to, to hope that it would allow me to be something different or somebody different. And, and honestly, I had that hope before I picked up, you know, the first book or the first two books or the first three books that that changed how I thought about the world. And whether it was A Lesson Before Dying by Ernest Gaines or um, or Sophie's Choice. You know, when I read those books as a teenager, they did radically change what I understood to be my obligation um, to myself and to the world. 
Okay, Dwayne Betts, I, I want to bring Brian Stokes into the conversation. He's interim library director at the Falmouth Public Library on the Cape. Um, Brian, most jails have libraries, most prisons, but the offerings and the staffing uh, can differ wildly from place to place. So um, I found out that that here in Boston at the Suffolk County House of Correction, um, the, those behind bars have access to 20,000 books and two staff librarians. So th- this is not the case at the Barnstable County Jail uh, where you're doing work. Um, talk about the, the differences there. Yeah. Uh, so at the Barnstable County Correctional Facility, uh, there hasn't been a librarian on the staff since before covid So uh, when I actually reached out to the sheriff to see what the public library might be able to do uh, with the sheriff's office, um, you know, we pretty quickly realized that the first thing we needed to do was help get the library that exists at the facility into a lot better shape than it was in. Um, Things were not organized well at all. A lot of books were in really bad shape, water damage, moldy, um, you know, just nothing that anybody would ever want to pick up and read um, without any regard to the subject matter. They were just in such poor condition. So the first thing we did was remove a lot of stuff that was just in in terrible shape. And then we did an exhaustive sort of uh, organization of the shelves, Um, just getting things into order, um, neatening up everything, bringing it to the front of the shelf instead of having everything just sort of thrown on there and, um, and creating some, some, genre, you know, sub subsections for the collection. You know, there was no young adult section. There was no classic section. Um, and so that's the work that we've sort of uh, been focused on while we've also been able to engage with some of the incarcerated folks who are at the facility every week when we go out to. Let's talk more about that. So I was down there a few months ago uh, in Buzzards Bay at the, at the House of Correction um, and interviewed an inmate named John Sheehan, uh, who you know, Brian. Um, he was yeah. telling me about uh, a Stephen King series that's apparently big at the Barnstable County Jail. Um, but one of the books in, in that series was missing. Let's listen to what John Sheehan said. I hadn't seen Brian in maybe three weeks to a month, and I came in here and he had another Stephen King book for me. He remembered from a month before about one book that I brought up, you know. So that's the kind of stuff he does. He finds books for people that, you know, if, if we can't find it in here, he, he helps us out with that. So very appreciative uh, inmate down there, um, Brian Stokes. I, I want to go into a little bit of your backstory because um, you actually worked in Rikers Island Jail in, in New York as well as a, a federal prison in Brooklyn, right? How, how was that experience different from being here uh, at a much smaller facility on Cape Cod? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would say the biggest difference between um, the facilities that I worked in in, in the city and, and here uh, in, on Cape is that here uh, it's so much easier to work with the administration, to work with the staff of uh, the facility. Uh, they genuinely believe that education and access to to productive ways for for incarcerated folks to spend their time is is the key to reducing recidivism. And so, you know, I have had no problem bringing in books, you know, uh, proposing ideas for some programming that we can do, which is, you know, a complete 
180 from how things were at Rikers, where, you know, if you found one person who would sort of work with you on what you were trying to do, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a win. And generally, you know, you would take a bus to a train to another bus, you know, only to end up waiting two hours and maybe not even getting to the facility at all because somebody didn't fill out the right paperwork or whatever. So, you know, just knowing that when I go out to the facility that I'm actually going to be able to get in and see people and do what I came out to do that day is so, so just amazing. And it, and it makes it so much easier to really kind of expand my thinking on what we might be able to do out there because you have that, that buy-in that's so crucial. Yeah. Dwayne Betts, let's bring you back into the conversation. So um, you're the founder of Freedom Reads, uh, an organization that's opened 239 libraries in 33 prisons and juvenile facilities across 10 states. That's a- including nearly two dozen here in Massachusetts. Uh, talk about talk about what those are like, what what those they're, they're small libraries, right? It depends. Yeah, I mean, it's a 500 book library, but you know, you could spend five years sure. going through these books. I mean, you're talking about um, everything from the aforementioned Testament of Hope to, you know, Cervantes to Morrison to Baldwin to Faulkner. Um, you got Seeing Unbury Seeing by Jasmine Ward. I mean, it's just such a, a wealth of books. And I named six books, and that's obviously not exhaustive, but it would take you months to really plow through those six months. The Brothers Karamazov. I mean, it's a lovely collection of books that ask you, um, what does it mean to be human and what does it mean to be alive? But I just want to tell a, a MCI Norfolk story because so much of this work has been transformed by my relationship with the Massachusetts DOC and with the men um, incarcerated there. You know, initially, Freedom Reads, the, the plan was to build one Freedom Library in each of 1,000 prisons. And the first library opened up at MCI Norfolk, and we thought that it was rhetorically powerful because we put it in a gutted prison cell. And this is the prison that Malcolm X served time and, and reading, you know, was fundamental to his personal transformation. Well, we put the first um, library there, and then we get a letter a couple months later. Hmm. Look, the library is great, but what about everybody else that doesn't have one? We come back a few months later, I, I, I do a performance, I give a performance, the guys tell me, I'm the only one in here who's seen these books and it's beautiful and the bookcases are beautiful and it is a calming space here. But what about everybody else? And it took us, you know, more than 12, 13 months, but we worked hard at it. We worked with the leadership and we came back and we put a freedom library in every one of those cell blocks. And, and because we needed to do that to be responsive to the men that was incarcerated there, we started to do that at every prison. And so now our model is to make sure that if we put one Freedom Library in one housing unit, we put that in every single cell block at that prison so that nobody, so that, so that nobody is left without the ability to, to reach for something as lovely um, as they try to sleep in a really horrible place or as they try to live in a really horrible place or, or as they try to dream in a really horrible place. Because ultimately, books gave me the ability to dream. And, you know, I went to prison at 16. I haven't won a fight since the second grade. And, and nobody expected me to, like, graduate from college, let alone be the commencement speaker at the University of Maryland. And they also didn't expect me to go to law school, let alone go to Yale Law School. And so I think that, you know, what we do when we bring these freedom libraries in is is to really make the case that freedom begins with a book. Um, By doing what the brother that's on the show with me talks about doing, which is showing up, which is remembering that somebody loved Stephen King and to bring them that book that, because you know, and you recognize that you are the conduit 
for them to have this thing that makes them believe, even if it's just for the time it takes to read 300 or 400 pages, that life could be more than the constraints of a six by nine cell. Dwayne Betts, um, this upcoming June, the inaugural Inside Literary Prize will be presented. Uh, so this is the first major U.S. book prize to be judged exclusively by incarcerated folks. Um, tell us more about this prize. Your organization had a hand in establishing it. I, I will say that I have to shout out France because a lot of times we are learning what we can do in the United States by looking at what people do in other countries. And so last year, the New York Times did a report. It was like in January. It was a huge prize in France. The major literary prize is judged by people in prison. And so when when I saw that, I was intrigued. And within a week, I got five or six messages from people saying Freedom Reads needs to do that. And then I was able to partner. And and and, and what happened is the National Book Foundation, um, Lori Feathers, and um, the Center of Court Innovation, they all collectively reached out to me with um, the Correction Leadership Association, which is the, the sort of um, leadership in the Department of Corrections all over the country. And, um, and us four as organizations and as um, individuals came together. And 12 months later, we you know had the book selected. We had set up a, a system to have 300 judges. Uh, we are going to be visiting six prisons. Uh, and it is going to be fantastic because already we've seen the kind of conversations that come out when people talk about um, great literature. And actually, you know, it's weird because you say, why judge a book contest? Well, having them judge means that they are a part of civic society. It means that, that they are not um, away somewhere, that we're trying to acknowledge that they're still a part of our community and that they're still thoughtful and that they still should be engaging with the world. And also that we should be bringing writers and a community in these spaces so that we could think about what it means to, to transform this space. I, I have realized that we live in a country that really is, um, you know, predicated on so many of us believing that mercy is a real thing. And, and that's what we're trying to do to the lives of people in prison by showing up for them, by going into the places where they are and by going into cell blocks that I remember sometimes feeling like the cruelest unfriendly and most unforgiving place on this earth. Well, that I mean, reminds we bring me, beauty. I, sorry to interrupt you, Dwayne yeah. Betts, but, but that reminds me of one of the people who I interviewed at the jail on Cape Cod. So shifting back to the Barnstable County Jail, um, we spoke to Tiana Hutchinson, a young woman who's serving a sentence for vehicular homicide and who's really taken to books like, like nothing else. Um, here's what Tiana told us about sort of a little silver lining of, of the darkness of being in jail. A lot of people let this experience break them down, and rightfully so, it's difficult. But I find that I view being incarcerated now and looking at it almost as a blessing in disguise. It's just truly amazing to be able to read this much and have this much time to completely indulge myself into a book. Brian Stokes, you're the interim director of the Falmouth Public Library, and you're in that jail working with Tiana and others. But I want to bring up the point you made about this This isn't just about books inside these facilities, right? You're trying to give people a resource for, for when they get out of jail in the form of a library. Yeah, that's totally it. I mean, libraries are are such a central part of our communities there are so few spaces in any community where you can go and be there and not have to buy anything for the privilege to be inside a space that's climate controlled and dry 
and has all these different resources that you can use free of charge. And so it's so important that we make these connections with folks before they, they you know, re-enter and say that, you know, when you do get out and things are complicated and you are struggling with something, this is a, this is a place you can sort of find yourself and be grounded in and, and start there. And hopefully it provides that first step for folks uh, who, who need that help um, readjusting you know, to, to being a part of, of the community on the outside. Dwayne Betts, um, in closing, I'm, I'm hoping to get your reaction uh, to the type of work that, that Brian Stokes is doing at the jail in, in Buzzards Bay and, and type of librarian volunteer work that's happening in many places in this state and, and in this country. I mean, honestly, one of the biggest joys for me in doing this work is that I get to pretend to, you know, be what I found to be a, a sort of subsection of the, a subset of the superheroes of America. I get to pretend to be a librarian. And um, and when I listen to him talk about his work and when I listen to him talk about recognizing that it's a, it, it, you, you have to have continuity. Uh, and if you have continuity, then that means you're conceding that people who get sent to pr- prison and jail are still in the world. They're still in our world. Reginald Dwayne Betts, poet, lawyer, and founder of Freedom Reads, and Brian Stokes, Interim Library Director at the Falmouth Public Library. Thank you both 